turn your Bible to Psalm 127. Turn your Bible to Psalm 127. And we're back in the Psalms of Ascent. And we're looking last week, this week, next week, missional living. Missional living. And we kind of went over uh, the top of your notes there last week. But I just want to emphasize again what these words mean uh, when it comes to missions and missional living. Everybody has definitions. They toss words around. But often they don't explain the definitions to you. So I want you to see uh, the basis of what we did last week, this week, and what we're going to do next week is all rooted in this idea that God has called every Christ follower and every local church to His mission. To His mission. And you see, that's the big picture of God's plan. It's everything that He's done in eternity past. It's everything He's doing now in history. It's everything He's yet to do in eternity future. It's God's big picture, purpose, and plan. And basically what that is is He's fulfilling His promise that His presence will dwell with His people in His place. That's what God was doing in the garden. That's what He was doing in the promised land. That's what He is doing in the church. And that's what He's going to do in creation in the new heavens. God is fulfilling His promise that His presence will dwell with His people in His place through His person, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His power, the Holy Spirit, for His purpose, the glory of God and the good of all peoples from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's His mission. That's the big picture. But God calls every one of us and every local church to do missions. To do missions. And missions is that global part of God's plan. It's the part where we cross cultures to go to every people group so that there will be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue in His presence. That's not going to happen automatically. God's not going to just snap His fingers. He does it through us. And so missions is the global part of His mission. And we just had... A week of that. We've been teaching on that. It's uh, Matthew 28, go make disciples of all people groups, uh, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. That's it. Acts 1.8, uh, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you should receive power to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the third thing that God calls all of us to do and calls every church to do, is to be missional. And that's the daily personal part of God's plan. That's you and I, whether we're missionaries or not. You know, sometimes I know why people say that we're all missionaries, but the reality is we're not all missionaries, or we wouldn't have a missions emphasis week and have these people. Missionaries cross cultural barriers, uh, typically even going into other countries, other lands, Languages, learning, and all that. But we are all to be missional. And that's just the daily practice of doing our part to fulfill God's mission and to be involved in missions, okay? And that's a daily thing. And that's what I want you to see uh, coming out of our World Outreach uh, celebration. Now, last week, we introduced you to a course called Perspectives on the Christian World Movement. And you have there in your notes on the right side, that's the overview of the class. So in the course of 15 weeks, you're going to gain that biblical perspective, which is basically that big picture, that big picture. And then you're going to go into the historical perspective, and that's really missions throughout church history. And then you're going to be taught the cultural things of how do you cross cultural barriers but the course ends with this missional aspect now here i am and i've learned these things what am i going to do and so again in your bulletin if you're interested in that course uh, and you want to get the best discount you can get you need to register by november 13th and then you can also claim a glenwood scholarship of a hundred dollars that uh if you if you're if you're if you claim that so that's where we were. Today we want to talk about the power for missional living. The power for missional living. How do we do this? Do we do this in our own power 
Or does God provide that? And then next Sunday, we're going to look at perseverance in missional living. So here's what I want you to see this morning. That the power for missional living comes from God, not us. The power for missional living comes from God, not us. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I need a constant reminder of that. Amen? And by the way, it's not getting any easier to live missionally in our country. And we need to know that the power resides not in us, but comes from God. Now, I hope you're there in your Bible, Psalm 127. These are two, Psalm 127 and 128, two of the 15 Psalms of Ascent. These are songs that worshipers sang in Israel as they went up on their journey to the temple three times a year to worship in God's presence. It's a journey that literally meant physically ascending, physically going up, because t- the Jerusalem and the temple were on a high mountain. And so you would literally go up. And so these are the songs of going up. Uh, it was a journey to joy because you were going to get to worship with God's people. Something that we get to do every week, they really only got to do three times a year in the presence of all of Israel. And so it was a journey to joy. And, and they were journeying to Mount Zion, where the city of God, Jerusalem, was, where the king, God's king, was, the son of David. They went to where the temple was, where God's presence was at. Now, as New Testament Christ followers, we've been saying we're on a journey to joy because we have the heavenly Jerusalem that will one day come down out of heaven. We have the the ultimate king of David, Jesus Christ, who will one day come back to earth and establish his kingdom. And we, on our lives, every day you get up, you're on a journey to joy, headed to ultimate joy, ultimate fulfillment, where we will worship in God's presence, not in a spiritual way where we can't see him, but in a physical, personal way right here on this planet it'll be a new creation you'll have a new body can i hear an amen Amen. yeah i got an amen on that one that was a good one you're gonna have a new body and we're gonna worship in his presence it's gonna be a body that's capable of living in the very presence of god's holiness and glory man that's the journey to joy and so in the meantime we're pilgrims not like the thanksgiving ones but sojourners who are to live missionally on our journey to joy But listen, between now and then, between where we are today and where we're going to be, we're to live missionally and share the gospel with as many people and invite and love and interact with as many people as possible, even through missions, people in other countries, people that Richard Lewis will meet, but you and I will never meet, so that as many people as possible will be there worshiping. And we do it by sending and going. We do it by praying and giving, welcoming and mobilizing. But here's the question. Where does the power come from to do that? Where does the power come from? And Psalm 127 and 128 helps us see that. Let's begin by reading Psalm 127. We'll wait on 128. But let's read Psalm 127. Follow along as I read. Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, what I want you to see in this first psalm is, first of all, it's attributed to Solomon the king of wisdom, the wisest man who has ever lived, Solomon. Both of these psalms are basically wisdom psalms. They they teach us to see life from God's perspective and live accordingly. These are insights for living life. And their direct application, as you can obviously see, is to the home and to the family. 
But I want you to see that like the rest of the Psalms of Ascent and like the book of Proverbs, the wisdom in these Psalms can be applied to many situations. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, well, I'm single or I don't have kids and this doesn't apply to me. No, it can be applied as the spiritual truths and it can be applied this morning to missional living. And I'm going to help you see how to do it. These two Psalms together are going to tell us that the power for missional living comes from the Lord. So I want to teach you, teach you three truths today about missional living and where power comes from. And the first truth is this. Missional living is done by faith. The power for missional living comes by faith. Now look again, especially at verses 1 and 2. This is really the point of verses 1 and 2. Notice the examples. They're drawn from daily life and their focus is on what's ordinary but necessary, right? They're drawn from ordinary things, mundane things, necessary things for life. Building a home, protecting a city, working long and working hard to get her done. That's what it's talking about, okay? We all can relate. The house and the city can be applied to your personal lives and family. There's truth in that and there's application in that. But it can also be equally applied to our spiritual lives. So as these people were traveling, remember, they're traveling on their way to Jerusalem. They're leaving their homes. They're leaving their city unguarded. Homes that they have built. They're traveling on dangerous ground. We've talked in the previous Psalms. There's dangerous people up in them hills. And and they're risking things. And they're saying, hey, the Lord's protecting us. The Lord has built this. The Lord is protecting us. But remember also, they're traveling to God's house. And they're traveling to God's city. And so the application here is also for uh, spirit for spiritual things. The the second the or the third observation I want you to see here is the word vain is hard to translate in English. Uh, it can mean useless, pointless, purposeless, meaningless, fruitless. You get the idea. Sometimes I think one of those is the best, and the next time I'm looking at it, I think the other one. I'm picking fruitless today because these psalms talk so much about fruit. Fruitlessness. And he's basically saying this look, we live in a consumer society, right? And we want to do what's fruitful. We want to do what's useful, what will fulfill our dreams. But here's the problem much of what the world, well, all of what the world tells us and much of what we pursue is not fruitful. It's not fulfilling. And he's saying, unless the Lord is the one that you're trusting in, you won't see the fruit. You won't be fulfilled. And so I think that's a, it's a very important, important message. So whatever we do, it's going to be useless and fruitless. The fourth thing I want you to see before we dive into these verses is God's not saying these things are not important. You know, sometimes we divide the world up into spiritual, you know, what we do in relation to God, what we do on Sunday, and then secular. You know, and somehow God doesn't really care about that. And I can kind of live any way I want during the week. And then I put on my spirituality when I come to church, right? We all are tempted to do that, okay? We all can drift in back into that. The idea that he's saying here, he's not saying building's not important. He's not saying that securing your valuables is not a godly thing. He's not saying don't work hard, be lazy for Jesus. That's not the point of this song. But what he's saying is this. He's saying quite the opposite. He's saying, look, these things that you and I do on a daily, weekly basis, the mundane, the ordinary, and to be quite frank, the boring, is spiritual. Because God should be at work in it. God should be invited into it unless the Lord is building with you, unless the Lord is guarding your valuables, unless the Lord is working with you, then it's fruitless. So don't think about your job. I don't know what you do. You can be the most mundane thing. But don't think about your job as not being spiritual and not being something that God actively wants to be a part of. These verses are saying the very opposite of that. And believe me, missional living 
happens more often on the workplace than here at the church. We're all saved. It, they're out there. The lost are out there. Amen? And so the missional living happens while you're building. It happens while you're guarding. It happens while you're working. And that's the idea here. So let's take a look at it. Listen, we are to be building, but in a way that our faith is ultimately in Him building with us. We're to be securing, but in a way that our faith is in Him securing with us. We're to be working, but in a way that He is working with us. So let's take a look at it. First of all, uh, this psalm wants us to see the total fruitlessness of living independently of faith in the Lord on a daily basis. And here's the first thing. It is fruitless to build a house without His power. It is fruitless to build a house without His power. Notice it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, is there anything more basic than the question, where are we going to live? Is there anything, I mean, that is, you know, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and what's the first question? Where are we going to stay? Where are we going to live? Right? And there's few things that are more missional in your life than where you live, who you live around, and who you have into your home. That's missional living. So this building of a home, this securing a place to live, is very important and relates directly to our witness as believers. Yet, don't freak out thinking you have to have a certain size home or live in a certain area to be missional for Jesus because Jesus reminds us that even a home is not essential to missional living. What did Jesus say? The son has nowhere to what? To lay their head. And he was the most missional person on the planet. Okay, so home is important. Home is certainly a place of, of mission and ministry, but it's not essential. Now, nearly everybody is going to have some sort of dwelling place. Everybody here, whether you rent or own it, that's not the issue. The bigger issue is, whose power are you trusting in to establish that home? Whose power? Who are you trusting in? God's not against building a home, renting an apartment to provide for your family. But God is saying that to do those things apart from faith in His power, what you are building, what you are buying, what you are renting, what you are paying off will be fruitless for eternity. That kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Okay, first. Number two, it's fruitless to secure a city without His protection. It's fruitless, pointless, useless to secure a city without his protection. Now, here's another basic need. Now, I know where we're going to say, I mean, this is what your, those of you are married, this is what your spouse asks. Where are we going to say, and what's the second question? Is it safe? Is it safe? How are we going to be protected, right? Safety and security, that's what we're talking about. This is another basic need. Now, let me say real clearly, based on this verse, God's not against the Second Amendment. God's not against conceal and carry. God's not against security systems and your personal can of mace. God's not against a strong military to defend our nation and defend our homes. God's not against anything. But what God is saying is apart from faith in His protection, these things are pointless. These things are useless. Listen, if God isn't protecting this nation, nothing can protect this nation. If God is not at the heart of who you trust in for your security, you will always be fearful, anxious, and there will never be enough security to make you feel safe. Listen, parents, the best place your kids can be is following God into His will, even in a dangerous place, because God is the protector. And let me tell you, the most dangerous place to be is in a secure, safe, peaceful place, but out of doing the will of God. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Because missional living is not always going to take you to the safe place. But when our trust is in Him, and we should do... Now listen... Um, living missionally by faith doesn't mean you have to live dangerously or foolishly. So, you know, hey, I'm just going to go off and, and risk all things. 
Jesus told his followers that they would be sheep in the very middle of wolves, but he also told them to bring a sword for self-protection. Paul, perhaps the most missional person in all the New Testament, was not above sneaking out of a window and being lured in a basket to save his life. Okay? But at the end of the day, what Jesus, Paul, and all his apostles did was take the proper measures, but ultimately their trust was in the Lord's protection. Therefore, they could risk their lives and even gave their lives knowing that no one could take from them that which was most important to them. So you guys, most of this, maybe some of you are new, you don't know, but our church, there was a time we were broken into three times. Three times broken into. Computers bought and computers stolen. Computers bought, computers stolen. You know, money from the insurance. Three times. And it wasn't until we put in a security system that it stopped. Okay? You know, and so we weren't like, oh, you know, Lord's up there. Well, whenever you get around to doing that, that'd be a wise deal because you need to guard this. But now that that's in and no, no one's broken in, let me tell you, my trust is not in the security system. Because through that process, you learn, you know what? If they want to get in, they're going to get in. Now, God's been gracious and protected us. But the trust is not into the security system. The trust is in the Lord that can watch over us and know that anything someone takes, He can replace. And what anyone takes is not the most most important, and that's our relationship with Him. So... The point of this is do what God expects you to do what He expects you to do. And having done what God expects you to do to protect and guard and secure things, then in that process you trust the Lord and you know, Lord, ultimately it's in your hands. It's ultimately in your hands. So what should you do? What should you do? Well, trust in Him to do what only He can do as you do what you ought to do. Pray for His protection over your lives and missional living on a daily basis. And give thanks each day that God protects you. The first thing I do when I wake up, first thing I do before I even get out of bed, as soon as I wake up, I thank God for another day. And the last thing we pray in our home, and we don't, we don't always or aren't always consistent in praying every night as a family. That's not the point. The point is, when we pray... One of the last things I always pray, Lord, may your angels watch over and protect us as we sleep. Because the reality is, I can't keep guard all night long. And the real reality is, even if I did, I'm not much of a protection. Okay? Yeah, I shouldn't be laughing that much. But the reality is, sleep is a really freaky thing when you think about it. When you sleep, I mean, you're asleep. It's a really weird thing. But God protects And we give thanks for that. Number three, it's fruitless to prolong our days without His peace. So it's fruitless, useless, pointless to build a house without His power, to guard a city without His protection, but it's equally fruitless to prolong our days without His peace. Look at verse 2 again. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved... Even in his sleep, or as some translations, he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, what's going on here? The focus here is on anxious work that acts as if everything depends on me. And because it depends on me, I've got to get up early and I've got to stay up late or it ain't going to get done. Do we need a little testimony here? A little confession time right here, right? This is a verse that we as American Christians ought to dwell on on a regular basis, right? Anxious work that tries to burn the candle at both ends. And what happens when you burn the candle at both ends? You don't have a candle. Okay, you don't have a candle. The the rising, the, the, this, uh, this is referring to people that rise early and they go to bed late in order to lengthen their work day. The point, though, is not to avoid being a hard worker. Okay, that's not the idea. The point is that mission the point is not that missional living is an easy lifestyle. Sleep in, go to bed early, take it easy, win people for Jesus whenever you're not sleeping. That's not the idea. 
Why do we know that's not the idea? Well, first of all, Jesus and nearly every single godly man or woman in the Bible rose early in the morning. Jesus and his disciples often worked through meals in order to reach people for Christ. They often were so overwhelmed, they would just work and not even eat. Jesus also always worked hard and zeroed in on fulfilling his life goals. But Jesus did all these things for a missional purpose. And he did these things in trusting in the Lord to provide. He didn't do it in his own power. He didn't, he didn't scrunch himself up or pull himself up by the bootstraps and say, Boy, I'm going to work harder for you, Father. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to go to bed late. I'm going to show you what I can do. No, he did it. He rose early. But you know why Jesus rose early in the Gospels? He rose early to spend time with his heavenly Father because he had so much to do that day. Jesus and his disciples often worked through meals not to fulfill the American dream, or in that case, the, uh, the Israeli dream. They worked hard in order to get the gospel out, to be missional in meeting needs. He worked hard. Jesus worked very hard every day of his life, but he had time for people. He had time for divine interruptions. In fact, most of our missional living happens in those irritating people that interrupt us from our agendas. How many people love to be interrupted? Not very many people. How many, how, does that irritate you? Get your, you get up early, you got your schedule, and then somebody calls, somebody drives, you know, interruptions. But if you trace through the life of Jesus, do you realize most of his ministry came through interruptions? So he worked hard, and by the way, Jesus also worked hard, but he didn't ever work so hard that he didn't have time to worship with God's people and worship his heavenly Father. Here's the point. It's vain, it's useless, it's pointless, it's purposeless, it's fruitless to do these things if the Lord's not in it every step of the way. So this is kind of a a serious but gentle rebuke to the person who says, coming out of world outreach, I'm going to try harder to serve the Lord. I'm going to try harder to live missionally. And he's saying, look, if you do it without me, it's not going to accomplish anything. This is the rebuke for the person that says, I'll show you what I can do for the Lord. Just watch me. Just watch me. See, that's bootstrap theology. I will try harder. I will serve more. I will see more results than others. I will care more, serve more, teach more, preach more, love more. I'm going to rise early. I'm going to go bed late until the day I die. Well, I've got news for you. If you do it like that, you're going to die sooner. You're going to die sooner. And when you go to the Lord, He ain't going to be happy. Because He's going to say, where was I in all that? So much effort, so much work, so little fruit that remains for my glory because you didn't do it by faith. What does this psalm call? I call it bootstrap theology. Look in verse 2. This psalm calls it eating the bread of painful labors. Eating the bread. Will working harder produce more? Yes, but it will be a pain. It will, it will, you will be worried, anxious, frustrated, burned out because it was all done in the power of the flesh. Do you realize that word for painful there is the same word used in the curse in Genesis 3? When Adam and Eve came to God and said, look what, you know what, I'm going to live on my own. I'm, I'm going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm going to disobey your word. I'm going to put myself first in my life. God came down and he cursed them and he said to the woman, you're going to deliver children, but it's going to be painful. And he said to the man, you're going to work hard and you're going to try to get, get uh, produce and provide, but it's going to be weeds. It's going to be painful. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, we, even we as Christians can live in a godless, faithless way. And... It's a dangerous thing. Let me, I'll share with you this one illustration. I I couldn't find the exact quote. This last week I watched a documentary on Norman uh, Lear. Norman Lear. I said, why do you read Norman Lear? Well, I grew up in the age where his sitcoms were all over the TV. Probably one of the most influential men on TV. So I thought, well, I want to hear, I want to see his life. what's, What's this guy's story? So at one point in this documentary, he says something very profound. 
Very profound. He said, yeah, there was a point in my life where I had five, six, seven. I remember, I don't, I don't remember that. I had five, let's just say six. I had six television families. And then I had one family, and then he gave the address of his home. And he said, you know, those six, six television families needed me 24 hours a day. And it appeared that the family at, and he gave his address, was doing okay without me. Well, you know where this story is headed. By the end of this documentary, this man is so famous, so popular, so successful, who had worked so hard. I mean, I can't even imagine managing six, seven top-rated sitcoms at one time. Can you imagine? But his wife had a breakdown. She left him. She left his family. She took her life. And this guy that's so successful that's now in, up in his 80s is just talking about how really he's talking about her. He's reading a, a card from his wife. And he's just weeping. Because the reality is, fulfillment doesn't come from that all that success that you work for. Fulfillment comes from the Lord and the fruitfulness He brings, not from the awards that the world gives. And so instead of living, I mean, basically, and I mean no disrespect to this man, he lived a cursed life. Successful in the world's life, but it was a cursed life. It was a godless life. And at the end of his life, he is not fulfilled, and he is broken. Now, this psalm, instead of living that kind of cursed life that's godless and dependent on yourself, we should live a blessed life, a blessed life that is God-dependent. So instead of uh, eating the bread of painful labors in verse 2, what we should be doing is realizing that, yes, He can provide, God can provide for those He loves even when they sleep. Now, this verse is very interesting. It can be translated one of two ways. One is, you know what? It's okay to go to bed. God's at work while you're sleeping. See, if you have faith in the Lord, you're like, okay, Lord, I did what I could do today. Now I can go to sleep because you're still working. God can provide even in your sleep. Amen? He does it all the time. In fact, most of what we have, most of what we have, He has provided above and beyond what we have worked for. Amen? But another way to translate that is that He grants sleep to those He loves. And the point there is, look, when you're trusting in Him, you can sleep like a baby. You can sleep like a baby. How many of you ever go go to bed anxious and worried? And you sleep for about a half hour and then you wake up and then what, do you, what are you thinking? About your anxious and worry. And then you sleep a little more and then you wake up a little more. And then when you wake up, you're exhausted. That's eating. That is eating the, the bread of your painful labors. But God, those who have a love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ can go to bed. Listen, some of you here today are so weary. You are so weary of living in your own power. You're so weary of living apart from a relationship with Him. And Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you sleep. I will give you fruit and fulfillment. But you have to place your faith. You have to place your faith in Him. And maybe you're saying, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a good person, a hard worker. It doesn't matter unless the Lord builds. You might be saying, I'm successful and recognized by others. So was Norman Lear. It doesn't matter unless the Lord builds. You might say, I'm a Christian. It should all go well for me. It doesn't matter. You still have to live by faith and have Him involved. Maybe you're saying, I'm a dedicated Christian, a devoted Christ follower. It doesn't matter. You can live a godless life. You're saved, but you're still living a godless life. Maybe you're a pastor, a wanna worker, a praise team member. Maybe you work harder and serve more and sacrifice more at this church than others. It doesn't matter because if the Lord's not in it, it's in vain. Wow. Well, there's much that we could say here. How do we live a life dependent on the Lord by faith? How do we do this? As I was thinking this week about it, I thought about Romans 11.36. Romans 11.36, and I have it there in your notes. For from Him 
And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I tell you, I think our lives would be different if we got up every morning quoting that verse and say, you know what, Lord, whatever I face today, it's from you, it's through you, and it's for you. Okay, so let's break that down. How do you live by faith at work? How do you live by faith at school? How do you do this? Well, see all things are through him. So what's that mean? And here's how I broke it down. By faith, live according to God's word. Listen, if all things are through God, if, if, if you can't do anything of eternal value except through him, then you got to know his will. Amen? Because this is what he's doing. Not what you think he should do. Not what we want him to do. This is what he's doing. I am thrilled that we've had over 70 people. I don't know how many people completed, but I know 70 people attempted to read through the whole New Testament in the last 40 days, and we just wrapped it up last week. You are better equipped to live missionally having read his word and know his will. Number, uh, secondly, by faith, live claiming those promises. Take the word off the page and claim it as you live. Claim specific verses for what you're building, what you're securing, the people you're trying to reach. And then third, by faith, live in a way that's pleasing to him. Listen, if everything's supposed to be done through him, then how we do what we do is as important as why we do it. Amen? Because it's real easy to think the ends justify the means. But if we're doing it through God, then what we need to, we need to always be asking, Lord, is my heart right with you? Lord, is this how you want me to do this? Or am I just charging through, doing it my own way? Secondly, since all things are from Him, by faith live so that all you do is dedicated back to Him. Take your job and dedicate it to the Lord. Take your family and dedicate it to the Lord. Take your babysitting. Take your studies. Take every aspect and realize I have nothing if he didn't give it to me. So, Lord, I just dedicated it all back to you. And then third, since all things are for him, whatever you, whatever you accomplish in life, ref, deflect or reflect the glory back to him. Give him the first part of your income. Give graciously and generously on top of your tithe because it all comes from him. Give him, you know, accolade. Now, don't be the kind of guy that says, hey, you, you know, someone comes up and says, boy, you did really good. And you go, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was the Lord. You know, first say thank you because you did do something and they're recognizing. Say thank you. And then you can add, but you know, I know it all comes from his ability. It all comes from the talent he gave me, right? Amen? That's the way. All right, that's the big idea. Missional living is to be done by faith. Now, here's the good news. Because the power comes from him, the fruit comes from him. Here's the second truth in the rest of this verse. Missional living bears much fruit. Jesus himself said, My Father is glorified this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, when God's work is done in God's way, in God's power, God will give the fruit, and he wants much fruit. So here's two truths from verses 3 through 5. The first one is this. Fruitfulness is always a divine stewardship. Fruitfulness is always a divine stewardship. Now look at verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, obviously, the physical application here is children as a blessing in marriage. But the spiritual application is equally obvious. Spiritual children is the fruit of missional living. God gives the fruit. So here's my point. Not everybody in God's family is married. Not everybody in God's family has kids. But everybody in God's family can bear spiritual fruit. Amen? That's the idea. That's the idea. In fact, let me say this. You can be married and have a big quiver of kids and not have spiritual fruit. And at the end of eternity, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because life's not about family. It's about God's family. So here's the idea. So here's, here, here's the principle that you want to take. Fruit is a gift. So be thankful for it. Fruit is a gift. So be thankful for it 
And it's a reward, so be faithful with it. So when you lead someone to be Christ, give thanks to God. He did it through you. Okay, And then when you lead someone to Christ, you need to disciple them. When people come into our church, we want to disciple them because it's a reward that we want to be faithful with. There's more I could say on that, but let me move on to the second. Fruitfulness has a divine measurement. Fruitfulness has a divine measurement. And we see this in verses 4 through 5. Notice what he says. Look at verses 4 through 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior... So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, again, the physical application to the home life is obvious. Have lots of children when you're young, and you'll have lots of opportunity for them to take care of you when you're old. And believe me, you need more because there's usually only one out of the bunch that really cares for the parents. There's always one. There's always one. And I'm glad my brother was that guy. He took care of my parents. But the reality is, that, and so that's why we always tell Amber, Amber, you got to be the one, okay? <laughs> you, you just get, you got to be the one. And she always says, I, I think I'm going to be in another country. I said, you can come back. You can come back, all right? So we know the physical application of that. But listen to this, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So here's the principle. The Lord measures fruitfulness by fruit that remains. So that's the first point. The Lord measures fruitfulness by fruit that remains and lives for the fame of his name. That's success. That's the measure of success. Fruit that remains and lives for the fame of his name. Because you see what happens in this. He says, hey, in verses 4 and 5, he says, when you're young, have lots of kids because they'll be around when you're old. Well, that, well, okay, kids don't always stay around. And some don't care for their parents. But the point is, it's a wisdom principle. The point is, fruit that remains. And then he says... They're like arrows. They'll defend you in your old age. So your kids will defend you. And that's the idea of verses 4 and 5. So the point is this. They'll honor your name. And that's what God wants. God wants many, many children to be born through our missional living. And that those kids would grow up and that they would live for the fame of His name. And I'm saying kids, metaphorically, He wants people to get staved. Stay faithful and live for the fame of His name. That's success. That's success. And here's the thing. When you live by faith, God will help you bear much fruit that remains and lives for the fame of His name. So here's the third principle. Third truth is found in Psalm 128. And the third truth is this. Missional living brings eternal fulfillment. Missional living brings eternal fulfillment. These two psalms go together. They're both tied together by the idea of fruitfulness. In fact, in Psalm 127, you have the fruit of the womb, and and that speaks of fruitfulness. And in Psalm 128, you have eating the fruit of your hands. That speaks of fulfillment. And so these two psalms go together. And uh, once again, it can be applied to missional living. So let's look at Psalm 128. Notice what it says. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Who walks in his ways. When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. There's fruitfulness again within your house. Your children like olive plants. There's again fruit around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. See how that ties together? The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Remember, they're singing on their way to Jerusalem. So here's the first point. God's eternal fulfillment is given to those, to the faithful who fear Him. Listen, fulfillment comes in fearing God. Fulfillment comes in fearing God. It's in verse 1 and it's in verse 4. You say, what does, what does it mean to fear God? Look at verse 1. Fear God, 
to fear God, it means to walk in His ways. It means to live with an obedient faith. It means God's first, always first. He's first, He's last, He's everything in between. Living in fear of God is knowing that, you know what? If I don't live by faith, there's consequences to that. And if I don't put my faith in the Lord, there's eternal consequences to that. So fulfillment begins with fearing God. That's the key to wisdom. Number two, God's eternal fulfillment comes through fellowship with the fruit of one's labor. Here's the good news. We get to lead people to Christ. Then we get to fellowship with them now and ultimately for all of eternity when we get to the new Jerusalem. That's that's real fulfillment. That's real fulfillment. In this passage, the fruit of one's labor is physical. There's crops that are eaten because you planted. There's a house that's lived in because you built. And there's a table to sit around and have fellowship, fun, and laughter. But the fruit is also relational. There's a spouse and there's children. But ultimately, the fruit is spiritual. The ultimate fruit that every one of us here, single, married, married without kids, married with kids, too old to have kids. What we can all enjoy is someday the fellowship of being around the Lord's table with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue that we invested in because we prayed for Richard Lewis, because we gave to Faith Promise, because we, on the work job, man, I sit here and look at Jim. Jim's here because of Jeff and Chrissy. That's spiritual fruit. And now in our group, we have fellowship with him on a regular basis. Rick Powers is in our church because Jeff and Christy gave spiritual fruit. Now we have fellowship with Rick, which is a, a, a real roller coaster of a ride. Okay, um, Many more I could speak. I just speak because we, we talk about that in our group. We talk about in our group that we have fellowship. That's fulfilling, folks, because that lasts forever. Amen. So here's the question. Who's going to be in eternity because of you? Who are you going to have fellowship? I, there, there's going to be some Christians in, 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 in the new creation that's going to be, they're going to initially be very lonely. Because really, no one's really there except the person that led them to the Lord. And they haven't led anybody to the Lord. They haven't teamed up with a local church like ours to lead people to Christ. The Browns didn't do all this in these people's lives. He, they did it as a team. They started in volleyball. They invited to an outreach event. Uh, others got involved. Ultimately, Jim sat there for two years. And uh, finally, I said, I said, Jim, we got to go out to eat because it's just time for you to get saved, buddy. I used to design lessons just for him. For two years, there were times. I'm like, okay, today, this, you know. And finally, you know, in God's timing, right? But ultimately, it took sitting across, sitting at a table. I'm telling you, that table stuff's important. It's important. Well, here's the last truth. God's eternal fulfillment comes when God completely fulfills all His promises in Christ. Boy, there's a whole lesson here. This thing ends 5 and 6. And I'm telling you, it freaks you out. And you know why it freaks you out? Because you're like, wait, I thought we were talking about family and all this stuff. And all of a sudden he says... Jerusalem, Zion, he gets all these weird concepts in it. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, ultimate fulfillment is not found in this life. It's found in the life to come, okay? And God gives blessings of family. God gives blessings of a church. God gives blessings. But the prayer of fulfillment is the Lord will bless you from Zion. One day, Christ is going to land on the Mount of Olives. One day, he's physically going to be here and he's going to enter into Jerusalem and he's going to take his kingship and he's going to begin to rule and he is going to bless our socks off. That's what we're looking for. Amen? And that won't come. And here's the promise, that when that comes, you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You're going to experience the meaning of life The meaning of life is one day when we're gathered in His presence, surrounded by His people, many of whom are there because of our missional living. Amen? And we will worship in His place for all of eternity. And no more tears, no more curse. And then you're going to experience the multiplication of life. 
you'll experience. This, ver- this psalm ends, may you see your children's children. And I tell you what I want, is I want the men and women that I've invested in for 20 plus, nearly 30 years, to come to Christ, to remain in Christ, and to do for others what God enabled me to do for them. And I want to see spiritual children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Amen? Amen. And you know what? That, I, can't, I can't see that with physical eyes. It's by faith. And faith brings that fruitfulness, and that fruitful, fruitfulness will be ultimate fulfillment when the journey is done. Amen? I mean, that's, I know we, we did a lot today. But that's the power for missional living, folks. Unless the Lord is in it, whatever we do is in vain. Let's pray. Father, we need this. We just need it. Because we need you. We need you. And Lord, comfortable Christianity is king in this country. And it's easy to be busy Busy. And I've seen them. Busy Baptists. Busy with much. But Lord, unless you're in it, it's pointless. It's useless. And Lord, there's many who are living a Norman Lear lifestyle. Busy at work. Busy at this. Busy at that. But Lord, they're eating the bread of sorrows. May no one here live another day weary Because they live apart from you. May everyone here either accept Christ for the first time or rededicate again that, Lord, we're going to live by faith. We're going to expect much fruit. And we are going to journey to ultimate fulfillment in the new Jerusalem. Jesus Apart from you, we can do nothing. With you, we can do everything that God expects. May we do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good stuff.